Hello, welcome to Life and Things Podcast. It's been a little while since I've gotten on here. There's been a lot of things going on, of course, like always. Life gets busy, and then we sort of lose track of everything that we've got going on, you know? Um, yeah, I've been watching, you know, and listening to some news and just sort of hearing about you know, what's going on in all the different areas of this, of the world right now. Um, it's definitely an interesting time that we're living in right now. We still should not at all lose track of the goodness that's out there. Um, I know everybody's been going through something, right? So for me, you know, obviously last year I lost my job. I also um, just recently lost my dog and he was amazing. He was a um, purebred German shepherd that I had, um, had rescued basically. Um, you know, it's not like he was doing horribly, but there was people that were going to get, be getting rid of him. So I took him. And so we found out that he had a birth defect that affected his kidneys. One of his kidneys was really small and the other one was basically deformed and non-functional. And over time, the toxins just sort of took over because his kidneys couldn't filter him out anymore. They said it was amazing. He lived as long as he did. And I'm very grateful to have had him for the year and a half that we did. I miss him so much. He was such a good puppy and he was way too young, but now we're, well, I, I am contemplating um, going ahead and rescuing another dog. You know, I feel like it worked out well for us last time. Granted, this unfortunate event took place and we lost him, but I don't know. I feel like there are so many dogs out there right now that do not have a good home and people are breeding puppies like no tomorrow. And then there's, then there are all these people that are surrendering them to shelters that, you know, after so long of them not getting adopted, they're getting euthanized. It's just a very sad situation going on right now. You know, it's, it's always been going on, but it's definitely, I feel getting a little bit worse right now with everything going on in the world that people just are not having the means to take care of their, their, their fur friends you know, their fur, fur family. So if you have the means, I do ask that you go ahead and either donate, find a shelter and donate, or what I would say is be even better, foster or adopt. Um, I think it's, these animals don't deserve what they're getting. They just don't deserve what they're getting. And it's a sad situation. So anyways, that is what I'm contemplating doing is going ahead and rescuing another, another, another pup, another, I mean, I guess he wasn't a pup. He was like a year old when we got him, but you know, another fur, 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 fur friend or fur family that I can give a good home to. So give me your thoughts about that. Um, what do you guys think about this whole animal welfare situation that we've got going on in this country? And in other countries, I mean, it's going on all over the world. I'm sure people are having to, you know, 
surrender their animals because they just don't have the means or they don't think they do or the, you know, just different things happening. So give me your, give me your thoughts in the, in the comment section. I'd love to hear your thoughts also about breeds. So obviously turbo, my puppy that we just lost, he was a, a purebred German shepherd. He was a little over two years old when, when he passed away. Um, I have noticed just by going through the shelters that it does appear that German shepherds are really, really, um, being surrendered quite frequently. There's a lot more of them in most of these shelters than what, um, than most other types of dogs. Now, German shepherds and things like the, um, the Belgian, uh, Malnos, Malnos, I think I'm saying that right. Those pups are also surrendered quite frequently. And I think that, that they are just really horribly misunderstood. Most times these dogs are not super aggressive. They can be taught to be aggressive. They can be trained to be aggressive. And occasionally you might come upon a pup that has been too interbred and that can cause aggression. And that is completely the fault of, of these puppy mills. So I just want to put that out there. Like these, these pups are really not, not well understood. Most of them are just big, huge babies. Turbo had a really horrendous bark. <laughs> People were scared of his bark, but he was a puppy. He was just such a loving little, little pup that, you know, unless he felt like you were trying to do harm to him or his family, um, which rarely, in fact, I don't think I ever really saw it happen. I saw him stare someone down once, but that was about it. Um, if he barked or whatever, it was mostly because he wanted your attention. It wasn't to harm you. It wasn't, you know, because he was aggressive or anything. I know that we had this, um, this funny game that we'd play with him where he would growl at us if we got near his food, but it was because he just really wasn't eating. We had no flipping clue that his lack of food intake was due to his kidney issues and that's what it ended up being but you know i think it ended up being a game with him where he would just like you know and like um you know rub his head against us and like do the growling thing but it wasn't vicious he never was really vicious you know he never bit he never did any of those things i mean i think the only wound i ever got from him was when he was playing back and forth and he caught me with one of his little nails on his paw which was more my fault because we you know we didn't trim him except for once a month. Um, and sometimes we would skip a month, but um, he, he was not aggressive at all. And most of these pups are not aggressive. They might be afraid, but if you're not afraid, they're not gonna be afraid of you. If you show fear, they're gonna show fear. And I know that German Shepherds have a bad rap because, you know, they're, they, you know, a lot of times they're police dogs and, you know, there are people out there who breed their dogs to be mean and that, you know, either not breed them, but they treat them or train them to be mean. I, I was at a campground walking the dog, you know, walking turbo and this little kid and probably saw it from his parents, which, you know, is what it is. But he was literally just beating his puppy because the puppy wasn't doing exactly what he thought it should be doing, but he also wasn't instructing it properly. So 
if you don't know how to train a dog after getting one, bring it to training. Um, I brought Turbo to PetSmart and it was not very expensive for three, for three levels of training, introduction, um, intermediate and advanced training for a pup. It was $315 for all three classes. You could take them to just the one and that like will help immensely. So you don't have to take them to the, oh, three or $4,000 trainings. You can find ones that are sufficient to get you into the realm of what you need to do to train your pup. And so if more people were to do that, I feel like we'd be speaking the dog's language more. And in doing so, we'd have less aggressive pups because A, we wouldn't be beating them, which is not necessary. You know, pups, especially dogs, cats, on the other hand, you know, they are aloof and you can't really train them. I mean, you can, but most of them are like, ah, screw you. You know, I'm going to do my thing. I only want your attention when I want it and I'll ask for it when I want it. And you better pet me right. You know, um, I have a cat too. Love the cat, but still that's the cat more aloof, not as, um, needy, I guess. Dogs, on the other hand, they are generally speaking meant to be pack animals, right? They're used to being in in some form of a clan experience in a family. And so then we've domesticated them. They don't speak our language right away. We don't speak their language right away. So when you first get the dog, it's like getting to know each other. They don't typically do things bad. They don't mean to be bad, especially at the beginning. But if you train them wrong, or and when I say wrong, I mean by hitting them, screaming at them, and being aggressive towards them, why do you think they're not going to end up being aggressive back? Well, of course they're going to be aggressive back because you've shown aggression. So now you're showing that kid, that baby, baby dog aggression. So that's all they're going to know. So they're going to be aggressive. And then, and then because of our wrongdoing of not treating that puppy the way that it needs to be treated, not treating that puppy the way it needs to be trained, then we're, we're sending them off to a shelter to be euthanized because it bit somebody because we, we did wrong. So there's just, there's a lot of things there that just really upset me about the dog world and how humans have humans as yeah, I'm calling us all humans, how us, us individual people have done wrong to this, to this species. They deserve so much more. They are, Literally, if you do things right with a dog when you first get them, they will be your protector. They will love you endlessly. They will always be there for you. They look up to you. You know, it's it's amazing what a dog will do when shown the right way. But it's up to us as owners or <laughs> as fur, fur parents to make sure that we're doing the right things for them first. If that makes sense, which I'm positive it does. Ask any trainer. So if you have a dog and your dog is aggressive, look at yourself first. Find out what you're doing or not doing that might be causing the aggression and try to fix that first before you get rid of the pup. And for God's sakes, don't let it get to the point where it's biting people because then you failed the dog completely and now the dog is in this aggression state 
which is, you know, it can be really hard to fix. Not impossible, but very hard to fix. And most of the time, you know, at that point, animal control will just say, you got to euthanize. And then we've basically just killed our dog by not appropriately training them. Okay, moving on from that. So with that, if you have a German Shepherd or a Shepherd type of dog or the Mal Mal Malnos um, Belgian pups, which are very similar to German Shepherds, you know, they're very active mentally, physically, you know, they're the working dog breed. So, you know, purchasing them puzzles where they have to like get through the puzzle to get their treat, um, ha having them have things that they need to do with us. Like, you know, Turbo used to help us, you know, help us by coming out with us when we took out the trash, you know, he'd be back there while we were working in the yard. Uh, we would go for hikes with him. He would be on camp trips with us. He was, you know, he had a job. His job was to protect us during those things. And he loved it. He loved it. And that's what you need to do for your pup. If you are somebody who likes to sit on the couch all day and do nothing, which I'm not going to say that I'm always super active, but I would force myself, <laughs> um, force myself on, in those weeks where I really just didn't want to do anything. Um, those German shepherds and the working dog breeds need you to be the kind of person who keeps them active mentally, emotionally, physically. And if you are not that person, then you don't need to be adopting that kind of dog breed. That dog breed is not for you. Okay. So from there, do you really need to give up your German Shepherd if you have one? So you think you were unable to keep your German Shepherd anymore. I found this uh, PDF that is all about this. It was put out in 2017 by the German Shepherds. It's jsdcv.org.au. Again, I found this at gsdcv.org.au. It says here that there are several options available to you if you are unable to keep your German Shepherd. However, before you go any further, they want to encourage you to first read the article below, which uh, presents an honest assessment of the rehoming process. It says, cast your mind back a little. Not that long ago, you were thrilled to have a German Shepherd puppy of your very own. You never dreamed you'd, be, you'd have to give him up someday. Even if you can't keep him anymore, your dog still depends on you to do what's best for him, just like he depends on you when he was a puppy. Now, more than ever, he needs you to make the right choice for his future. Throughout the article, we're going to direct and um, we're going to be direct and honest with you. Your dog is your responsibility. He has no one else but you to look out for his interest. It'll take effort, patience, persistence to find him the right home he deserves for best efforts. Before you start, there are some important things you should consider. Therefore, a big difference between being forced to give up the dog and wanting to get rid of the dog. Search your heart for the reason why your dog can't live with you anymore. Be honest with yourself. 
your answer will probably fall into one of two categories. Number one, the most common people problems. We're moving and we can't find a landlord who will let us keep our dog. Many landlords don't allow children either, but you'd never give up your kids if you couldn't find the right apartment. Affordable rental homes that allow pets are out there if you work to find them. Most people give up too easily. It doesn't have to be this way. Here are some useful tips. Most people give up too quickly in their search for a rental property that accepts pets. Don't be too quick to jump on the first house you see. They'll probably be a better one available soon. Widen your search. Most people only look as far as the classified ads. Many landlords list their properties through real estate agents or rental associations rather than classifieds. Take advantage of rental services that help tenants find houses. Ask friends, relatives, coworkers to keep an eye open for you. A home that allows pets might be in a different neighborhood than you'd prefer. It might be a few more kilometers from work. It might not be as luxurious as you'd like. It might cost a few more dollars. Are you willing to compromise if it means being able to keep your dog? No pets doesn't always mean no pets, period. Many landlords automatically rule out pets because they don't want the hassle. Many of these landlords are pet owners themselves. Just because the ad says no pets doesn't mean you shouldn't go see the home anyway. During the interview, ask the landlord, are pets absolutely out of the question? If he says, well, you have a chance. You'll have better luck asking this question in person than over the phone. It's hard for people to say no to your face. To encourage a landlord to let, your, let you keep your dog, bring your well-groomed dog, well-behaved dog to the rental interview. Now, again, this comes with if you've put this dog through the proper training, which is also your responsibility when you become a pup owner. All right, moving on to the article. Show the landlord that your dog is well cared for and that you're a responsible owner. Bring along an obedience training certificate if your dog has one. This is important, I'm telling you. And, you know, though I was sort of skeptical with the PetSmart, you know, $120 deal for a training class, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. This trainer was amazing. And so you don't have to spend a ton of money to, to have your landlord see that your dog is well-behaved. Offer an additional security deposit or rental amount to be able to have the dog. Bring references from your previous landlords and neighbors so that they know what kind of dog and pet owner you are. All right, the most common dog problem behaviors. Oh. By the way, they say the other human problem is that we don't have enough time for the dog. As a puppy, your dog took more of your time than he does now. As an adult German Shepherd doesn't really take that much time, he 
All he wants is companionship from you and taken out for a daily walk, something that is good for you also. And regular grooming, which need only take an hour a week. Honestly, are you really that busy? Can the other members of your family help care for the dog? So, and also, so I also took my dog to PetSmart because they had the Furminator, which, you know, was their way of like really taking out the bulk of the hair because, you know, German Shepherds, they shed a lot. And I'm not going to say that the hair was controllable because it really kind of wasn't. But, you know, if you're a clean freak, you just vacuum all the time or read about the breed and make sure that it's okay that they shed all the time. If you're not someone who wants to deal with the wafting hair or vacuuming, you know, twice a week, twice a day, sometimes, you know, especially during shedding season, right before summer, then don't get the German shepherd because they do shed a lot. But once you have the dog, then it's your responsibility. And I, I hate seeing owners who just stick their dogs outside and never let them in. I've seen that happen before, and it's just so sad. The dog is miserable. The dogs need companionship. They want love. So don't just throw your dog out in the freezing cold weather or the super hot summers, which is also bad, especially for dogs like German Shepherds with that really thick coat. They don't need to be outside in the, in the blazing heat. So the most common dog problem behavior, behavior problems for the dog is if you got your dog as a puppy and he now has a behavioral problem you can't live with and you haven't really addressed it earnestly, you must accept the fact that you are at least partly responsible for the way your dog is now. You have four options. You can continue to live with the dog the way he is and get help to correct the problem. You can try to give your problem to someone else. Or you can have the dog destroyed, which is absolutely horrendous. So what I would do is correct the problem. Honestly, if your dog has ever bitten anyone, if your dog is aggressive with people or have been ever been um, bitten anyone, And see, oh yeah, and especially a child, it is also possible that a lawsuit could result. Now, again, you can prevent a lot of the biting through how you treat your dog. If you are aggressive, they will be aggressive. Once in a while, though, you might come across a dog that really just ends up being aggressive. In that case, you may not have a choice. So next is, how do you rehome your dog? There are a few options. You can evaluate the dog's adoption potential. To successfully find a new home, you need to be realistic about your dog's adoption potential. Most people don't want used dogs, especially if they are have health or behavioral problems. Your dog will have the best chance if he's less than four years old, is healthy, friendly to strangers, obeys commands, 
and adapts quickly to new situations. Look at your dog as if you were meeting him for the first time. What kind of impression would you would he make on you? Would you want to adopt him? You already know that your German Shepherd German Shepherds are special dogs for special people. Their special people can be hard to find. A lot of people interested in German Shepherds today have never had one before. They want a dog that will greet them with a wagging tail or will at least allow them to pet, the, pet him. If your dog is aggressive to strangers or is temperamental, we have already talked about the correct options. What kind of home do you want for this German Shepherd? A large fenced-in yard? Another dog to play with? Children? No children? You got to make a list because you don't want that dog getting into a household where there's other animals in there that he won't like, like a cat or a bird or, you know, whatever. You don't want him being stuck in a yard where it's not fenced in or he's in this tiny little kennel at the side, the corner of the property because these dogs need a lot of space. So you need to realize what the needs of that dog are and be honest about those when you're finding someone to adopt the dog. If you bought your dog from a breeder, you can ask for help from that breeder. If you have purchased responsibly from a responsible breeder, that breeder will want to help the dog find a new home. There are listing services, which is what I'm looking at every day. And then they do recommend doing an in-person interview. The last piece is saying goodbye. Which can be very tough, especially if you have any guilt in the situation. So I just want to say that, you know, pups are very good very good family members and we need to know in advance whether or not we can care for that pup obviously a german shepherd fairly small dog when you get them but they get way bigger so you also have to take into consideration before buying a pup whether or not you really have the space that that dog would need all right let's get on to some happier news I do still recommend though dogs are fabulous um cats are fabulous in their own way it just depends on what kind of person you are i personally like both so if you are up for adopting a dog don't just go for the puppies look at the ones that are you know still young even or if you're an you know a person who can take on an older dog i mean that can be hard but those dogs deserve love too all right. Sorry. Again, moving on. I would like to go for the quote of the day. I'm going to start with the, I'm going to go into the, the happy news now. The happy news, starting with the quote of the day, let the root of love be within. Of this root can nothing spring but what is good. This is from Augustine of Hippo. And then the, that's today's quote of the day. Yesterday's, I'm going to read also because I like it. The fear are paper tigers. You can do anything you decide to do. You can act to change and control your life. And that's from Amelia Her Earhart. 
By the way, I found these quotes at goodnewsnetwork.org. The next four articles are also from goodnewsnetwork.org. All right. The first good news is that a lassie dog, which looks very much like a German shepherd, leads a New Hampshire police back to the scene of his owner's car crash down a hill. He said that two men who had overturned their Ford uh, pickup truck and were lying injured in the cold were found by police due to their dog. Reports are saying she is being treated um, to venison and back scratches, a fitting reward for the faithful canine who braved the cold and high-speed traffic to save her owners. Tinsley, a Shiloh shepherd, attracted the attention of the police as she was loitering on the embankment stretch of I-89 connecting New Hampshire to Vermont. Troop Sandberg and other officers of the Lebanon Police Department made attempts to quarrel her and get close, but she kept running away, eventually leading them to the damaged section of guardrail. They were trying to get the dog off the highway to keep it safe. New, uh, New Hampshire State Police Lieutenant Dan explained to local news. The dog stood at the top of the embankment and looked down. When they followed her lead, they saw a badly damaged overturned pickup truck with two injured occupants nearby who had been ejected from the vehicle. At the scene, troopers, Troop Sandberg and Lebanon police officers called the medical assistants and found the two men to be suffering from hypothermia. It was then they learned that the German shepherd named Tinsley belonged to one of the injured occupants of the truck. It quickly became apparent that Tinsley led troops, the, the troopers to the crash site and injured occupants, which also ended up being one of their owners. This was almost like a real life Lassie situation, said one of them. It's really quite remarkable. This dog definitely saved their lives. I don't think they would have survived the night given the temperatures. Her owner stated, she's like a, she's like a, little, a little guardian angel. It's a miracle that she had the kind of intelligence to do what she did. So considering I just spoke very much about, about pups over the last few minutes, I thought I'd share that one because it's heartwarming to see what dogs are really going to do for their owners when put in the proper ownership. Nearly, okay, so Good News Network article number two says that nearly 70% of Americans are more excited to give gifts than to receive them this past year. Nearly seven in 10 Americans are more excited to give gifts than receive them this year, according to the new polls. As families look to reconnect with their loved ones during the winter's fest festivities, Two-thirds agree that spending quality time with their family is the highlight of their holiday season. The survey conducted by one poll on behalf of Minted asked 2,005 Americans to pinpoint what makes the season so joyful. Not only are 68% more eager to give than receive, but 57% look forward to giving more gifts this year 
and have added more names than usual to their shopping lists. Over half think sharing gifts is a lesson for the season. Interestingly, 45% of the millennium, millennial respondents loved using snail mail to send their, their season's greetings, saying that the mailing holiday cards is one of their favorite holiday activities. During their year's holiday downtime, four in five Americans, which is 78%, plan on breaking out the tied and true family tradition, while 68% of their respondents will be trying out brand new traditions this year. So I just want to state, and I'm sure that you guys have all heard this at one time or another, gifts are great sometimes, especially for young ones. But as you get older, I really think that experiences are far more you know, it just, it's better. It, it, being able to build memories with your family, like having a trip or an activity or something like that over a gift is so much more impactful. You give somebody a gift, they might use it, they might not use it. It might not even be something they care about. And potentially by the end of the year, they're not going to remember who gave it to them anyways. However, when you plan an event, something that everybody will be able to experience and make memories from, that's what's going to last a lifetime, especially for older kids and things like that. And I've heard this time and time again. I'm not going to say that I practice this actively yet, but I definitely, this year, we, we've talked it over and we might be doing this in future years because I do think memories are worth so much more than something that someone might not even like after a year, especially for the, the, the kiddos, you know? All right. Number three of goodnewsnetwork.org. Nurse rescues her patient's dog from a shelter after getting a heartfelt phone call. With loyalty, I will endeavor to aid the physician in his work and devote myself to the welfare of those committed to my care. Everyday nurses take these words from the Florence Nightingale Oath to Heart, striving to ensure that their patients' welfare, but some, like registered nurse Jennifer Smith, take that commitment to care a step further. Last November, Smith got a panic phone call from John Burley, one of her patients from the Adult Day Health Care Program in Rome, at Rome, New York's Grand Rehabilitation and Nursing Center. He'd been hospitalized with pneumonia and with no nearby family to step in to help, his dog, Boomer, had been taken to an animal shelter. I came into work that Monday after Thanksgiving to the phone ringing at 7 a.m., Smith recalls. In an interview with CNN, John was calling from the hospital's room saying, Boomer is in the pound. Boomer is in the pound. Aware that the 12-year-old dog he'd had since it, it was a pup meant the world to him. When Burley asked Smith if she would take care of Boomer, her immediate response was a resounding, of course I will. The first thing Smith had to do was track Boomer down. Finally, finding him at the Rome Humane Society the following day, she drove to the shelter and put the adoption in motion, letting Burley know Boomer was doing well and he'd be coming home soon. Smith was given the green light to bring Boomer to work with her. 
She says that knowing his loved, beloved canine companion was safe and they'd be able to see one another made a huge positive impact on, on Burley's recovery. During his stay at the rehab wing, Smith brought Boomer to visit his dog, doggy daddy, several times a day. The cute pooch soon became a favorite with the staff and patients alike. To Smith, keeping 60-year-old Burley and Boomer together is just a natural extension of her life's goal of helping people. There are just so many worries in the world right now. If I can take one worry away from John, that's the least I can do, she told CNN. I can't cure disease. I'm not a miracle worker, but I made a promise to John to take care of Boomer. I will take care of him as long as he needs me to. John knows that. Right now, the focus on is on John getting better and taking it one day at a time. That is just an amazing, amazing thing to do for someone. And I'm sure she had to spend money to adopt the dog out of the pound, which is, you know, it just, you know, she spent money, she spent time, she spent care, you know, all of those things that we need to see a little bit more, more of in this world. The very last good news article was Professor gets a cardboard box filled with $100 bills mailed anonymously to her to help her his students. One day last September, Vinod Menon, the head of the phys- physics department at the Harlem City College of New York campus, had to face the normally unpleasant task of going through almost a years of COVID lockdown office mail and was stunned when he opened a nine-month-old package only to find it contained $180,000. Stacked notes in fifties and hundreds wrapped in paper bands, an anonymous letter and a return address to an alias where all that accompanied the parcel, which were, was addressed to the head of the physics department. I've never seen this kind of money in real life in cash form. I've never seen it except in movies. And so, yeah, I was shell-shocked and I just did not know how to react. The sending, the sender evidently had unshakable faith in the U.S. postal system and desire to send the cash as a donation to cash-strapped students looking to pursue physics and other sciences. City College of New York is one of the most productive public university systems in the States. And the physics department has long punched above its weight. Three Nobel uh, laureates in physics receiving their education there. And and in 1921, Albert Einstein gave one of his first lectures at the Harlem campus. It says, Dr. Menon, who grew up in India noted that the gift would provide for two fully funded scholarships every year for a decade. And that he would try to see it go into the hands of the students who had the fewest means such as the immigrants like himself. All right, now we're gonna start on the journey of Maybe not so good news, but 
still news nonetheless that I think is necessary to discuss. One of which is the untimely death of Bob Saget. I don't know if any of you guys have heard this. I'm sure you have if you've watched any news at all or on Facebook or any other social media platform. If anybody doesn't know who he is, he was a comedian and also an actor that was on one of my favorite TV shows when I was growing up, Full House. Um, they, they don't think that anything bad happened to him. They think he died, um, maybe not of natural causes. You know, they said they didn't find any drugs or anything, but he definitely just was found dead in his hotel room in Florida. He was just about to start um, a tour for his most recent comedy skits or whatever that he was doing. Um, very sad. He was a really just great, wholesome actor from my memories of him in the 90s. And I really loved that show growing up. I didn't really get into Fuller House at all, um, but... The Full House definitely was um, a family favorite for me and my sister. And we used to watch it religiously every single week and watching all the turmoil that the kids would go through things, you know, just life lessons that it would teach. You know, every single episode had some form of a heartwarming lesson that can be learned. And, you know, I just really enjoyed that show when I was growing up. So I'm very sad to see Bob Saget's uh, left us but hopefully for a much better place um, up in heaven. So RIP, Bob Saget. All right. Now, I know that I've spoken previously um, of the food, um, the supply chain for food. So I found this article. This is a NASDAQ.com. So www.nasdaq.com. And it's called Five Food Supply Chain Predictions for 2022. It says here that supply chains from potato chips to computer chips have struggled since the pandemic started. And the CEOs, investors, and other food industry stakeholders should be prepared for another bumpy year. Now, being that I was in the food industry, I got to say that there were definitely was some transport issues um, this past year. Uh, there was a lot of scrambling to try and get new suppliers so that they wouldn't run out of supplies on some things. Um, a couple of those that I know of were flour, sugar, just to name a few, I don't know about other industries. I was in the baking industry, but definitely there was stock uh, stock shortages happening in the food industry when it comes to production. And just from walking through the grocery stores, you know that things don't look like they did before um, before the pandemic. They just haven't at all looked looked like the pandemic. There's, I'm not going to say that things are completely running out, but definitely we've been having shortages. Occasionally aisles just seem like they're a far, far more sparse. Um, another thing I've noticed just from shopping at my local grocery store is that the variety has gone down. There's not as many options on certain things like um, spaghetti sauce to name one. Uh, I've seen Lunchables since we buy Lunchables for my daughter. I've seen those go completely empty several times over the past 
I don't know, four months. So, you know, supply chain is a big deal. And there is something called the on-time delivery system that we have all adopted worldwide, um, which is different than before. And when I say before, I think that this on-time delivery system either happened in the late 80s or sometime in the 90s. Um, I was a kid back then, so I can't really pinpoint when. But what the on-time delivery system is, is that basically food transportation and storage is primarily restricted to only like maybe two weeks worth of, of products, sometimes even as less as, as less of, um, as less as a week of supply that's kept actually at the store location. And what this has helped um, store locations do is make it so that they have far less to deal with in their back room, you know, which can lead to things like waste and stuff like that. So it was, there was reasons why they went to the on-time, um, on time delivery system, you know, less, less things they had to store, less waste if things went bad and, you know, and if purchasing power went down for the week or whatever. Um, so the bad thing though, is that with the on time delivery system, it is literally on time. So if there were to be an interruption big enough, um, let's say, gas ran out for trucks, you know, diesel, which is typically trucks or, you know, what we're seeing right now or what we have seen in the um, stalls of the stalling of ships coming and docking and unloading their, their shipping containers off of their big transport boats. Um, those things can cause shelves to go empty very fast. And then we, we start lagging behind, right? People are trying to buy, there starts to become panic buying, which is what we saw in 2020. And before you know it, there's like nothing. And people are fighting over things, panic ensues. You know, there's just so many bad things that can come from this on-time delivery system, but only if there's an interruption. Well, they're saying basically that there have been interruptions. We've seen the interruptions and there's probably gonna be more. It may not be toilet paper this time, it might be meat or it might be milk or other perishable food items. It could also be canned foods. So let's, let's read on. Stockpiling inventory might be acceptable for toilet paper, but it doesn't work well in the business sense when it comes to milk, pork, or other perishable food items. And underproduction of staple household goods is just as bad leading to out-of-stock, frustrated consumers, and loss of revenue for suppliers. Understanding the nuances of the supply chain is more critical than ever to rebalance supply with demand as we head into yet another unpredictable year. The good news is, is that 2022 should offer some improvements for the supply chain over 2021, but don't expect a return to normal. We're in a new normal where instability still kind of reigns. So here's a couple considerations they want us to take into, into mind. Number one, the, the transport and driver shortages will continue. It says here that finding enough drivers and truckers to move consumer goods was a small but growing problem before the pandemic. And now it's just been exacerbated due to the sudden growth in online commerce. 
the average annual turnover rate for long haul truckers at major trucking companies hovers around 90%. And this is due to the fact that the drivers, these drivers typically fall between the ages of 45 and 60. So, you know, they're in that last bit of their years, a lot of them in that 60 range and they, they retire, right? And with retirement comes shortage. So given the incredible amount of turnover, drivers accelerating their retirement plans and others go, other ongoing logistic issues, food and beverage companies need to be prepared for continuation of significant delays and disruptions. It says, unfortunately, there's no one size fits all plan. You know, it's, it's unique because I think at least from my take on this, we've had this delivery system that's kind of ramped up over the 90s and into the 2000s. And now we're kind of at this place where everything is very computer oriented. Everything is online. Everything is um, on the World Wide Web or in the cloud. And supply chain issues can happen due to computer errors, hacking issues, um, as well as the shortages with the people. So think about that for a second. We've seen so many issues with computers, with hackings and, you know, the malware and the, you know, different viruses and the, you know, people holding things hostage so that they get paid, you know, all of those nefarious things that have been happening because we have so many computer systems and, you know, the hackers job is to learn new ways of combating our firewalls and the things that we do to keep them out. So, so systems and data and all that, that stuff really do also play a large role in these shortages, not just worker shortages. But number two is that we do have worker shortages. Um, and that these shortages go beyond the sector of transports. The national labor shortages has been widely reported, and while restaurants seem to be seem to get the most attention, it is it has hurt the agriculture and food processing sectors as well. Fewer workers mean fewer people to grow, maintain, harvest, and process the food, which means less will be getting to the table. You know that whole um, farm to fork thing is just going to be taking a lot longer, or it's just going to happen a lot less. So. La, 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 la. In 2022, we may see fewer worker shortages as both food processors and government agencies take steps to prevent this issue from happening again. I don't know if they're going to go into this one, but if they don't, I'll talk about it. First, many, I'll, I'll finish the article first, but first, so first, many companies are recognizing the need to treat their employees better. Yes, absolutely. Um, we've been in an employer market for far too long, and it's being felt by everybody. And if you don't know what an employer's market is, it's, you know, the employer has more control because there's a lot more people asking for jobs. So the employer can be picky, and then they can also treat their people nasty because they know that they can just go out and get another person. Whereas at, in, a, in a market like this, where it's more of a, 
or hopefully it'll turn this way. It's more of a employee market where the employee gets the choice because so many, so many jobs are open and there's just not enough people to fill those jobs, which we should have been seeing anyways with the retirement of the baby boomers, but you know, neither here nor there. Um, employers really just need to learn how to treat people and they need to start hiring leadership that know how to treat people, that treat people like humans, not like machines, because we're not machines. And I think that that has been a failure on so many companies, so many companies, not just in the food industry. I mean, like all over, it's been a failure. They've, you know, expected us to work ungodly hours, expected us to do ungodly things. Um, there's been a decrease in morality among leaders too, which is just absolutely astonishing to me because we're being trained one thing, which is, you know, we should be um, servant leaders who are helping people and supporting people. And yet then you see like what's really happening and not all the time. I mean, there are some really great leaders out there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've, there are great leaders, but then there's this other sector of leaders where it's just, they, they just don't get it. You know, either they themselves don't have emotions or they've been taught to be this way either by their parents or by the leaders that brought them up through the ranks. I don't know, but you know, leadership should not be about who's going to kiss my butt and who's going to, you know, hold my hand and who's going to, you know, do these things. It's about developing the people so that they can be the best they can be. It's about servant leadership. We're supposed to be serving our people as much as they are supposed to be serving our company. That is the handoff, right? Not just that, you know, because we're all getting paid, right? When Whether you're a person who's an employee or a manager, but the manager is getting paid more because they're supposed to make things function well. And you don't make things function well through fear. You make things function well through creating an atmosphere where people feel comfortable asking questions, learning and being the best employee that they can be and learning what they want and what they desire out of their career and helping them get there. Because that's what makes a leader a great leader is those who can develop other people into leaders, whether it be of themselves or of other people. You know, we're all leaders to some extent. It's about creating those relationships, bonding groups of people together so that they get along and want to work and want to do a good job. And if there is conflicts, there always will be. It's about managing that conflict and learning how to teach the responsibility of each person, which is to accept people, forgive people, and talk to one another like humans. Don't just throw your fists up in the air and say, they're being mean to me. Write them up. No, it's not the way it goes. Like you need to talk to that person and say, hey, you know, you hurt me. You upset me. Um, I don't think you were being right in this. And it's not about the person exactly. It's about what they've done, right? So it's not about the person. It's about the, the behavior. And if we can't talk to each other on the same level, then there's a really big problem. You don't want them always running to leadership. You want them to be able to handle their conflicts on their own too. But they have to be taught how to do that. And leadership should only really be there to help develop them occasionally maybe be there to uh, support and um, but it's not about favoritism. You know, it's not about taking sides. It's not about 
treating one person better than another, that's where you get into the problem. It's about servant leadership. Every person should be treated as equals on your team. And that's, it's just been lost. It's just been lost in a lot of companies. It's just been lost. So I'm glad that this article brought this up because it absolutely does begin with leadership. All right. Um, there's also the, and this they say here, second, as more companies mandate COVID-19 vaccines, the number of employees calling in sick has decreased. The labor shortage won't resolve itself overnight, but companies are making headway. But of course, this will still end up being, you know, people are going to leave bad companies or companies that don't treat them right. So the companies need to learn how to treat their people and it has to start at the top and the middle management has to be held responsible. Accountability must be there in order for people to be treated better. The government will be, so number three is the government will be a strong partner in improving the supply chain. I'm not sure how they're going to do this, but they're saying that the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced a $4 billion investment in the food supply chain. So hopefully we start being able to build this up so that we don't see any more shortages. But again, they're, you know, just like any other thing, like in the food industry, um, in a lot of industries, we have these, these mock events, right, that we put on. The government does it too. Um, so that we can see, okay, if this were to happen, like, let's say a hurricane were to happen and you're in a hurricane area and, you know, there's damage to the building, how do you continue supplying product out of your, out of your facilities, right? Is there a backup facility you're going to open up somewhere where it's not in the region where the hurricane is, you know, those kind of things. Um, they have it for that. They have it for, you know, let's say there's a terrorist attempt at, you know, infecting something and, and you know, maybe putting an allergen that's not supposed to be there into their food. There's a lot of different events that, that companies put on so that they can prepare themselves for what they think they would do in the event that that would happen. The Department of Agriculture needs to do the same thing if they haven't already. And they need to let the industry know. Because if the industry doesn't know what they have planned, you know, the industry owners, though those who are in the processing facilities won't know what the plan is. And so then they're going to, you know, it, it causes a little bit of panic at the, at the processing facilities. So there needs to be really great communication as to what those are, if they are having them, and even letting those companies in on it. You know, so they're saying basically if the supply chain doesn't improve rapidly by 2022, we can expect to see more government support in that era area. Number four, end to end supply chain technology will become imperative while the food industry has been slower to adapt technology than other sectors. There has been an acceleration in the use of digital technology to improve data sharing and collaboration across the supply chain. 
Uh, for instance, PepsiCo is leveraging its visibility into consumer and local retailer data to mine insights across the supply chain and optimize its inventory and product product assortments. Now, again, this will only go so far because of the on-time delivery system. It doesn't take much for that to kind of crumple. Um, They say number five is mastering the supply chain will become an even bigger competitive advantage. So companies are going to do better in the industry if they have a more efficient supply chain. You know, think of Amazon versus everyone else because they were able to supply free shipping. Now, even during this time period, though, even Amazon's had troubles. You know, things that were supposed to be two-day shipping came in five. So it's just been a struggle. And I think once we figure out what those struggles are and we plan for those struggles in the future, you know, we can definitely at least attempt to remove some of these things from the future, you know, but they have to have those mock events and, you know, figure out, okay, what if this happens? What will happen? What will we do? What steps will we take? What steps do other people in the industry need to take? You know, those kind of things. They need to really go through that whole prog progression so that from farm to, to fork, everyone in between knows what they're supposed to be doing if this specific thing happens. It can't be every company for themselves because otherwise the shortages could cause massive devastations and, you know, all the way to, you know, starvation in some communities. But I'm glad they're at least looking at it. The other part that I wanted to speak out about with this is that, you know, a lot of industries are going to robotics. So they, and what they're trying to do basically is they're like, well, it's costly to pay for people's salaries and all their benefits and all those things. So instead they, they create robots that can do a job that any person can do. You already kind of see this. You can purchase a robotic floor scrubber that you can set and all you do is run it through the program and show it what, what path it's going to be taking. So you turn on record, you show it its path by actually pushing it through the path and then it records the path. You put it back to its initial position. There's these, I think stickers or something or little scan cards or I don't know, something that goes in those areas so that it knows that it's going the right direction the whole way through. Um, you, I've seen these in stores, I think maybe Walmart. Either way though, I've seen these in stores. I've actually demoed one at a company that I worked for. I mean, they're fantastic. I mean, you don't have to have somebody standing, sitting there scrubbing the floor anymore. It'll just do it for you. You still need somebody to fill it up and empty the water and all that stuff. So it's not that good yet, but you know, and they still need, someone still needs to clean the scrubber when it's done, but it still can do the job on its own. And we're going to see this more and more and having less and less of those menial jobs out there for people, you know, it's going to be only high education positions as this progresses, people are going to have to be the programmers, the, the people who go out and fix the machines. Now, I think even to some point, eventually they'll even have machines that can fix other machines 
So it, it's going to become that way. I don't know what we're going to be doing at that point, but I've already been privy to certain warehouses that have gone completely robotic. They don't have people anymore. They have these little machines that just go in, pick up the product, bring it to where it's supposed to ship, you know, it goes through this little like thing and then like stamps on everything. I mean, it's, and it's been going this way for some time. I mean, think back to, um, I love Lucy, right? Where you had these people standing in a line, having to pick up these chocolates and wrap them real quick and put them back on the line. And now we have machines that do that. Those things don't exist. There are not people doing that anymore. Occasionally you might see a place where they have a certain packaging that they need to put things in, or they need to double bag something and they don't have a machine yet that does that because it's a new product, but they'll get a machine in place soon. And then they won't need the people doing that. So more and more, we're going to see these robots kind of taken over. And soon there will be far less things for us to be doing in the stores. I mean, we've already seen the self checkouts and things like that. Um, yeah, it's, we're going to need less, less and less people as time goes on to do these jobs. All right. My next article is I'm going to start the discussion about, um, vaccines and I'm not going to say what my opinion is. I'm just going to read these, read these things. All I got to say is that, you know, our jobs as human beings is not to hate each other and not to point fingers and none of those things. We shouldn't be judging each other. Our job is to seek understanding and accept our differences. That is what we should be doing. In the world, that's what we should be doing. All right. So with that being said, as I go into these, if this triggers you, just skip it. Just skip it because, you know, I don't want to trigger anyone. That's not my goal here. Um, so this one, it was written by MSN.com. And this one here says 13 reasons Americans aren't getting vaccinated. And this is me just helping you seek and understand. The Omicron variant accounts for more than 95% of the new COVID-19 cases in the United States in the last week of 2021. According to recent Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates, although Omicron is reported, reportedly causing less severe issue, illnesses than the Delta variant, the increased level of transmission would keep hospitals overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients. Now, the pandemic may be far from over, is what they're stating. To stop the spread of the virus, several city, cities have imposed proof of vaccination to enter public places and some schools have returned to remote learning. Yet despite the availability of vaccines, some Americans remain dead set opposed to getting the jab, but why? To determine the reasons Americans are not getting vaccinated 24 seven tempo reviewed the US Census Bureau household pulse survey, taken over two week period ending December 13th of 2021. The survey gathered data and responses why people said they are not going or don't do not plan to receive the vaccine. Respondents were allowed to select multiple re reasons for not getting the vaccine. Percentages are based on the estimated 35 million Americans, 18 and older who responded. No, 
when asked if they received a COVID-19 vaccine and gave at least one reason. So basically they're saying those who did not give a reason, they just said no, are not gonna be in these numbers. So just wanted to throw that out there. Of the 250.2 million Americans who are 18 and older, at estimated 38.5 million or 15.3% have not gotten a dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Per the Census Bureau survey, approximately 20 million said they will definitely not get that vaccine. Respondents could cite multiple reasons, including concerns about possible side effects, distrust of the government, and not believing COVID-19 is harmful. Two other reasons were believed one dose was enough and because they experienced side effects from the first dose. According to, accordingly, a percentage of the respondents may be vaccinated with at least one dose and have decided not to receive the second dose. The CDC considers people are being fully vaccinated if they receive at least two Moderna or Pfizer mRNA doses or one dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Recently, the CDC advised adults, adults 18 or over who have previously received their primary vaccine series and to get an mRNA booster. Those 12 to 17 may only get a Pfizer booster. More than 55% of those who gave reason why they aren't vaccinated or fully vaccinated pointed to possible side effects as the reason of ref for refusing the jab. After a dose, pain at the injection site, fatigue, fever, and nausea are common side effects of the vaccine, the CDC reported. But those symptoms fade within days. Rarely have serious side effects been reported, the CDC notes. A significant percentage of respondents, which is about 48% of them, also said that they don't trust COVID-19 vaccines, and many, being 40%, also said they don't trust the government. With pandemic fat uh, fatigue setting in, getting the vaccine hesitance to overcome their trepidation can help drive the country back to normalcy. And one way to do this is by understanding their fears about the vaccine and countering those messages with the right information. Maybe the country can all follow the states fighting COVID-19 most successfully. So that is what this article stated. Now, I can honestly say I do know people who have had um, more severe side effects, including um, neurological issues caused by the vaccine. At least this is what they were told by their health care uh, physicians. So there are other stories out there that I think are, are bringing on fear. But most of all, I really feel that the fear or the mistrust that is going on in this country is forced by some government officials speaking without thinking, saying things in the wrong way or saying things out of turn. Um, one of the biggest one, ones I've read about that people are really, really upset about are calling this the um, pandemic for the unvaccinated because 
So basically they're, they're turning people against each other. I mean, you don't do that in leadership. You just do not turn people against each other in the people that you lead. We are a country, but we still have leaders. And those leaders are our government officials. Our government officials need to talk from a place of care and understanding and not from a place of fear mongering. People are going to start mistrusting, like completely not trusting the government if they continue saying things like that, which cause people to turn against each other. We need to stop turning people against each other. So and if you listen to any government officials, then there's them talking badly about each other. Well, you know what? From, a, from once again, from a leadership perspective, it's not good. It's just not good. It's the way this country, for some reason, has decided to go with their top leaders of our country. But no wonder other, you know, our our corporations are also falling by the wayside when it comes to the way they treat their people. You do not do that. It is not the right way to act. It's not the right way to act. Now, if we disagree, we can talk about why we disagree with things. We can talk about... Um, we can bring proof to the table as to why we think the way that we do, like studies and things of that nature. But our country's done a, a number of things that has caused massive mistrust, one of which is the um, pushback from social media. I mean, there we have freedom of speech. We should have freedom of speech. And they are kicking people off of platforms because of what they're calling misinformation. Well, who decides what's misinformation? Who decides what the truth is? Who decides what's right and what's wrong? Well, sadly, it's the people that we have entrusted to run our country. But what happens when we lose trust in those people? Then what? And the trust is not being lost because of the people. It's being lost because of the actions being taken by the, the trusted, those people that are supposed to be trusted leaders. So they need to really start reevaluating their actions, their, the words coming out of their mouths, determine what things they could be saying that is making people not trust them. And then they have to go about the trying to rebuild that trust because I'm gonna tell you right now, trust is really easy to lose and really hard to get back. But if you don't trust your leaders or if your people don't trust you as a leader, it's like game over, man. It's game over. So our leaders, either we get new leaders in that can start off on a better foot, but forcing people to do things or they lose their job, forcing people to do things or they lose their ability to travel or see family or go into buy groceries or you know, the list goes on and on, loses trust. I mean, these people are not going to trust you anymore because you've taken away their rights and never explained or shown proof of why. At least not legitimately shown studies and numbers and shown where those studies came from. Not to mention there's this infighting going on when it comes to not only our government, but also infighting going on when it comes to our healthcare officials. Some of them are saying one thing, some are saying another. So they need to come to a consensus. 
You know what I mean? And, you know, they can disagree. As I said before, disagreement is totally okay. But the infighting needs to stop. They need to disagree, give their sides of why they disagree with one another on specific topics, and then go from there. But Americans are not going to trust our health care. They're not going to trust our government going forward if they can't start acting like the leaders they need to be. So it's... It's so obvious to me just because, you know, from a leadership perspective, I've seen this happen so many times, you know, so many times. And um, yeah, it's rough, especially once you've lost, lost the trust of your people. All right, moving on from that article. This is something that I just heard about last week about what's going on in the Philippines. Yet another reason why people are not trusting their governments. So this is the Philippines. Um, the articles from Newsweek or well, Newsweek, but it's on MSN.com. It's called Philippines orders arrest of unvaccinated who leave their homes. It says Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte, I can't say his name right, Duterte, on Thursday threatened to arrest unvaccinated people who violate stay-at-home orders as part of measures aimed at tackling a surge of COVID-19 infections in the country, largely fueled by Omicron variants. So, first of all, Though there are going to be people who whose bodies react really bad to Omicron, just like the flu. There's people who end up hospitalized due to the flu. They're saying that out of all the variants that have been put out there, Omicron has had the least amount of severe symptoms. They say it's more like a cold, sneezing, sniffling, watery eyes, maybe with a slight fever. So being that I've read those articles, hearing this, I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Okay. <clears throat> so for this one, he warns that he had instructed community leaders to ensure that their people who have not taken COVID-19 shots are confined to their homes. If he refuses, if he goes out of his house, he says, and goes around the community, he can be restrained. If he refuses, the captain is empowered not to arrest. If he refuses, the captain is empowered now to arrest the person, says this president of the Philippines. I am responsible for the safety and well-being of every Filipino. He challenged those who disagree with his orders to file a lawsuit against him, according to Reuters. According to the ministry, okay, so it says Philippines on Thursday recorded the highest daily COVID-19 infection numbers since September with 17,220 cases. Okay, so I'm just gonna be honest with you. The reason why they're showing these cases is not because of hospitalization. 
but because of people going and getting tested. And I don't see where it says here that this many of them have been hospitalized. I don't see that anywhere on this article. So even though 17,000 sounds like a high number, even though there's trillions of people on earth, whatever. It says the figure brought the nation's total cases to over 2.88 million, while total deaths stood at more than 51,700. What I also don't see them saying is that this many is from the people who have not been vaccinated, which I was, you know, from what they're making it sound like a lot number, larger number than those who have been vaccinated. Because I'm going to tell you right now, they're having breakthrough cases. And those people are walking around spreading it just as easily as those who have not been vaccinated. So it would be nice to see that it's a lower number. So at least people start trusting that as being a reason. But still, arresting people, I just don't get it. According to the, the ministry, 49.8 million people or 45% of the country's population have been fully vaccinated at the end, end of 2021. So that means that over half of their people are still not vaccinated and those people are going to be arrested. I, I just really can't see them having enough places to put them. But that's beside the point. Currently, those who are unvaccinated in Manila, the capital of the Philippines, are only permitted to leave their home for essential reasons, such as going to work, buying necessities, and medical care. So they're going to allow them to go to work and infect people at work because the unvaccinated are causing it, obviously. But they're not going to let them go anywhere else. Do you see how this just really doesn't make much sense? So they're, they're being able to leave their house for necessities where they still can cause harm, according to them. But they're going to be on house arrest the rest of the time. So it's like you are in detention or you're grounded because you refuse to follow our orders to get your vaccine. So you're grounded. You have to stay in your house and you're not allowed to leave unless you're going to work or having to see a doctor. Does anybody see a problem with this? Are we children? Are we, you know, I just, I don't get it. It doesn't sound like they're doing it for the right reasons. That's all I'm saying. All right. The next article is from CNBC.com and it's called Pfizer CEO says two COVID vaccine doses aren't enough for Omicron. So this came out January 10th and it says two doses. They're not enough for Omicron. According to the CEO, Albert Borla. Orla says that the two-dose vaccine does not provide robust protection against the infection and its ability to prevent hospitalization has also declined. He said third shots are providing good protection against death and decent protection against hospitalization. So they're just trying to promote a third shot because the two shots that they said were supposed to be helping are actually not helping. But then if you get the booster, you'll be fine. Pfizer CEO Albert Borla on Monday said two doses of the company's vaccine may not provide strong protection. By the way, this is the, the same one that they're supposedly have as approved now in the United States, and yet it's not even doing its job. So that just yeah, there's just so much craziness. It just it's hard to imagine what's going through the minds of the people who are leading these countries to make them even continue speaking in public. <laughs> Okay, 
The two doses, they're not enough for Omicron, he says. The third dose of the vaccine is providing quite good protection against death and decent protection against hospitalization. Borla said Omicron is a different, is more difficult target than previous variants. Omicron, which is, has dozens of mutations, can evade some of the protections provided by the Pfizer original two vaccine shots. We have seen with the second dose very clearly that the first thing that we lost was a protection against the infections. But then two months later, this is according to, again, the CEO, what used to be very strong in the hospitals also went down. And I think this is what everyone's worried about. No kidding. Real world data from the United Kingdom has found that two vaccine doses are 50% effective at preventing hospitalization 25 weeks after receiving the second shot. According to the data at the UK Health Security Agency, two doses of vaccine or Moderna vaccine shots are only about 10% effective at preventing infections from Omicron 20 weeks after the second shot. Do you guys see where this is going? I um, I don't know. It's a little kooky that they're throwing big, huge hissy fit about people not being vaccinated, but they're not working. All right. And the next one, which really kind of saddens me, kind of, it really saddens me. It's very disheartening. And I heard this this morning and I decided to look it up for myself. But apparently Ronald McDonald House has been banning kids and their families unless they are fully vaccinated. Now, Ronald McDonald House is for sick kids, typically who have cancer or other high fatality sicknesses. And I I just don't know if they've even done enough research to state that this fact, you know, that these vaccines are not going to possibly cause more harm than good for these kids, you know. And I think that, you know, at least if if I was a parent of a kid who was having those issues, I'd want to see that data before putting anything else in my poor baby's body, who already is weak and fighting for their lives. So just from a heartfelt parent perspective, ooh. You know, this one's tough on me because I think that I can see it from the perspective of the parents. You know, there are kids and adults who've been proven to have some fairly bad side effects like uh, blood clots and things like that. So then to put your baby who's now going through, you know, chemo and radiation and all those things through having to get a vaccination I don't know. I just don't know. So it says that uh, yeah, so this one woman, Annie, from Gladstone in Queensland had driven her 16-year-old daughter to um, Brisbane for her regular medical appointment during which they stay at the facility overnight when she was told of the new rule. So she went there because, you know, a lot of these parents who have sick kids who are going through chemo and all these other treatments, you know, they can't afford much because those are very high medical expenses. 
So the Ronald McDonald House was meant to help parents afford bringing their kids to these appointments by at least giving them a place to stay where they wouldn't have to pay anything. And, you know, it's a really beautiful gesture, but not if you're going to take it away for something like this. I, I just don't know. She and her daughter, Artemis, who have has um, cerebral palsy, drive seven hours each way for appointments for muscle relaxant in- injections every two months. We're very appreciative of the services they provide, but this is a charity that's being very uncharitable, she says. While not v- anti-vaccination, she said she felt coronavirus uh, coronavirus vaccines were being pushed pushed on people and neither her nor Artemis had had one. I don't think many sick pe- sick and disabled children should be given the vaccine, but they there are virtually no exemptions given. If the priority is protecting the vulnerable, wouldn't it make sense to want people using their permit uh, premises to have had every vaccine under the sun from the past six decades. People with uh, cerebral palsy are at higher risk of developing serious respiratory complications from COVID-19, as are most who live with a disability or illness. So there was a letter written by the Ronald McDonald House. The CEO, Dr. John Gilmore, was given to Miss Marino and her and other parents by reception at the charity's Hurston building. I don't know. So typically in pharmaceutical drugs, vaccines, all of those things, they usually go through a really fairly regimented session of testing and it costs companies a lot of money to do the testing before putting it out in the market. And all of those tests need to then be shown um, to the FDA before the FDA approves it. The only reason why this vaccine was approved prior to the studies, which by the way, take upwards of 12 years is because of the emergency, um, emergency that was put in place so that it could be released before all the testing was done. So the concerns of the people who have not yet had the vaccination can be real. You know, I mean, they're coming from a place where they, you know, at least some of us know how drugs are typically tested and, you know, they look for long-term side effects, short-term side effects. Um, They usually will offer money to many people um, through their company websites for participating in studies so that they can test it on human on humans, you know, and not just on animals. Those people sign a waiver, you know, those kind of things, but they also get paid for, you know, either for being part of the study, which means that they might take the drug or they might take a placebo. You just don't, you just don't know. So these studies go on for, for years. They collect this data um, from these, these studies, cohorts of people from different populations, making sure that it doesn't affect one population over another, you know, all of those things. And 
they forfeited that. So we don't know how people with certain disabilities or issues might, how these might affect them. We just don't know because we've never studied it. And right now the studies are being done on human, on our population as a whole. And then they mandate it so that we're, we have to all be mandated as test subjects. So it, it can be a lot for people to swallow. It's not, this is not an easy thing that we're going through right now in the world. And this is why I think that it's incredibly important that people in general don't judge each other because judgment is just not a healthy thing. It's just not a, it's just not healthy. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for the people around us. You know, we don't know what's going on in people's minds. We don't know what background they have or what they understand or what they don't understand. So I implore you, please, if you are somebody who likes to judge other people in their perceptions, take time out of your day and do your research. Do your research. And at the very least, try to seek understanding before you get upset with people. Because there's just already our world has kind of been turned upside down. And I think that we can easily do more good by supporting each other and not degrading each other or saying nasty things about each other, because that's just not necessary. There have been decades of time where we were able to, you know, agree to disagree and not throw people nasty comments or, you know, degrading them or, I don't know, some people are saying nasty enough things that say, well, you know, then you deserve to die because blah, blah, blah. Why are we saying things like that to each other? That's not any way to treat each other. We should be supportive. Seek understanding. I'll leave it there. Okay. Hmm. Oh, there we go. All right. So the next thing is, is that... um, I want to talk about weather. <laughs> the weather has been crazy, um, at least here in the United States. From what I've heard, it might be in other places as well, where they're just having unreasonably strange weather that does not really fit the season that we're in. So for us here in the United States, we have seen so many tornado outbreaks, and it's January. <laughs> January is not tornado season at all. So this is not a normal weather pattern for for this time of year here in the United States. It's just not. We've had so many tornadoes. Um, Obviously, we've seen earthquakes. We've seen volcanic activity around the world. All of these strange environmental things happening. and now we might actually start seeing snow after we had a really crazy warm summer, uh, winter so far. You know, we had, for Thanksgiving, it was fairly still cold. It was like in the, you know, 30s, maybe 40s. But then for Christmas, it was in the 60s. Not just down here, but I hear that it was also fairly warm up in the north. So I'm in Georgia. 
But I hear that, you know, in Wisconsin and other states like that, they were having also unreason like unbelievably warm record warm weather for it being the end of December when usually they're just ramping up for that negative degree weather. <laughs> so I'm from the North. I'm from Illinois. So in Northern Illinois too, right at the border of Wisconsin. So I'm, I'm so used to that weather and hearing that they too were having 60 degree weather, just unbelievable, unbelievable. So strange weather. And now we might be actually starting to have some snow down here in the South, which is also I wouldn't say fully uncommon, but, you know, depending upon how much snow we get, it might be fairly uncommon, you know? I mean, when I first got here back in 2015, um, the people on my team, I was a quality manager, the people on my team called it, um, called the year, I think it was the year before I got down here, it was like, Snowmageddon. Everyone was stuck in their cars. And I'm like, how much snow did you guys get? And they're like, an inch. <laughs> and I'm from, you know, the area where, you know, getting five inches is normal. So I'm like, uh, but really people, A, don't know how to drive in it down here. B, they don't have any snow removal equipment and they also don't put down salts. Really? They don't have enough equipment to even really salt an entire community. So, and it freezes down here, you know, I mean, we get snow sometimes, but it also then just sort of freezes. And then it's like, you know, it's like an ice rink with a bunch of drivers who don't know how to drive on it. They don't know how to downshift in an automatic car. <laughs> so anyways, so I just would bring up the fact that we're about to have some, some more kind of strange weather here in the South with some snow. Um, we had tornadoes, I believe from what I heard in Louisiana over this past weekend. So more tornadoes, just really strange, really strange for this time of year. Um, there's a book that I just bought, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I am an avid listener of somebody called Jacob Israel, who is on YouTube, and he wrote a book, which is, I think, just freaking amazing. Um, he is a Christian author, and the book is called The Calling, the book of Thomas James. It's a fiction, obviously, so it's kind of science fiction-y sort of thing going on there. So far... Um, I'm a couple chapters in and so far I think it's really good. So I do recommend it. It's the calling, the book of Thomas James, Jacob Israel. You can find it on, on, um, Amazon for just a little over $9. Or you can also get it off of, I think, Kindle. I had brought up at one point that I was, had been a part of, um, leading a small group for the church that I attend. And I'm still attending the church and I still um, would like to possibly do another small group, but I'm also going to be leading um, the women's part of small group this year as well. So I'll be leading the leaders of the women's small groups for the church. I think it's fabulous. I'm super excited about it. Um, one of the things I'm thinking about doing, and I'm going to, I'm still going to ask about it, but uh maybe doing a book club for the calling. So if you're interested, please, please, please let me know. You can join the group. Um, I also have been moved to, to write. So I'm in the middle of, of writing a book. I am probably about halfway done with it, at least for the first draft. And then I'm gonna have to obviously reread it 17 more times. And even now, like as I'm going through the chapters, I'm remembering 
things that I really needed to put in the other chapters. And so now I'm having to take notes on my cell phone. So I don't forget to go back and add those things into the chapters. Uh, so far, it's been a lot of fun. I'm really excited. I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to publishing or anything like that. Honestly, I'm, I'm not a bad writer. I've been good at writing my whole life for the most part. I haven't read written a book like this before. I've read papers. I'm usually pretty good at doing that for school, but um, and I'm also really big into technical writing. You know, I've had to write um, standard operating procedures and things like that in my career, but this is more of a personal writing of the things I've experienced and the things I've learned in my life. Um, they call that, I guess, a memoir. <laughs> so I'm um, I'm working on that, and I'm going to be hoping to figure out how to publish that sucker in the next month or so. Uh, so I thought I'd put that out there as well. Um, I'll have a link to the book when I do publish it on my website, which is thriveforwards.com, where I have my website as well as my blog, which this gets posted to there as well. Um, and then I also occasionally will write some articles here and there about things that I'm thinking about. And I try to do it in between my podcast so that, you know, I can talk about it on my podcast, but I've also written it which I haven't done recently because I've just had so much stuff kind of going on. Um, please, I, I always put other links in my description. There's links on my website. Check those out as well um, if you get a chance. And I think that uh, I'm going to call that a day. Um, please feel free to comment. Leave any messages. If there's anything you want to hear about, let me know. Um, I am a very passionate person who likes to continue learning. So please let me know. I will research anything that you want to hear about and, and let you know what I find. So just let me know until then have a very blessed day, blessed week. And, um, I'll talk to you later. Bye.